Welcome to public meeting for week 8 of semester 2. If I haven't met you, my name is Declan and I have the joy and privilege of serving as one of the vice presidents for the Evangelical Union this year. If this is your first time at a public meeting with us, an extra special welcome to you. Today we're looking at the topic of desire. Last week we had Paddy speak on desire from Ecclesiastes and this week we're going to hear um, continually about this topic of desire. In thinking about desire and in this series, we want you to come to a fuller understanding of what it means to trust Jesus or to follow Jesus. And we here at the EU believe that Jesus is Lord, Lord over creation and also Lord over our lives. So we'll be thinking about how Jesus and following him can fulfil your desires. Uh, hi everyone, uh, my name is Fisher and I am going to be reading the Bible today. Uh, today's reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Welcome uh, once again. Can I just echo Declan's uh, warm welcome, particularly if you're Joining us for the first time at public meetings, uh, one of the things that the EU does regularly is meet together on campus and we're very thankful to the university to allow us the privilege of being able to book the room and meet as a club on campus. And uh, what I'm going to do today is fairly standard for what we normally do at public meetings. I'm going to try and take this particular passage of the Christian scriptures from the Bible. I'm going to try and explain it to you, hopefully in a way that is um, easily understood. And uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, challenge you actually to see how it applies to the life that you're living now. That's a normal thing that we do every week at public meetings, so particularly if you're visiting us, uh, you'll get a bit of a feel for what it might be like if you come back after mid-semester break. I wonder whether or not, um, if like me, at times you get frustrated with the way in which you're living. I wonder whether or not you find yourself making similar mistakes week after week after week, maybe month after month after month. Um, Are there aspects of life that maybe you've sort of been working on for a while, maybe consciously or maybe sort of even sort of unconsciously, but you're feeling like you're just not making any progress? So it's week eight. Did you make some good resolutions back in week one of first semester? (laughs) And that lasted, what, all of three days maybe? You said, I'll at least get to all of my classes. And so in week one, you faithfully attended all of the classes You had no labs and tutes on, so it was quite an easier week. (laughs) But by the end of week two, you'd already started skipping a couple and you said, I will at least watch all of the lectures. And it's week eight. 
And some of you are very looking forward to mid-semester break next week because you can catch up on a whole lot of stuff. Are there things about life that you've sort of made resolutions about? We make resolutions every year, apparently, on New Year's Eve. I've stopped making them. I've realised it's a bit futile. <laughs> By about mid-January, I'm back in my old ways. Maybe you're a bit different to me. Maybe you've made resolutions and you've been able to stick to it. But I'm sure it hasn't been easy. I'm sure at times it has come with challenges. On occasion, I think when we just do a little bit of self-reflection, maybe a little bit of self, uh, sort of in, bit of introspection, I wonder whether or not, for most of us in the room, generally speaking, that we would recognise that there are patterns of behaviour that we just don't like about ourselves, actually. And that may be because we just know ourselves a little bit better as we get older, year by year. It may be that in the context of relationships with others, perhaps our parents or the people we live with, our siblings, the younger ones especially, maybe there are things that they point out that are just a little bit annoying about us. And we find that a bit affronting and confronting and we go, ah, oh, but then upon actually reflection we go, yeah, actually that's what I'm like. Maybe there are things that you've been trying to change but it just doesn't seem like you're making any progress. And sometimes you wonder whether or not will this be the pattern of life for the next year or for the next three years. Surely things will change once I've left university and I've got a job. Then I'll be able to make a fresh start. Surely things will change once my relationship status changes and there's a little bit more permanence about what's actually happening between the two of us. Then life will be able to change. Maybe once you're established in life, you'll realise that actually... Maybe then life will change. I wonder if you ever ponder what life might look like if it was to actually change. Have you ever maybe been quite aspirational to say, I really sort of wish I was like this? I know some people who journal fairly regularly and sometimes one of the things that they do very helpfully for them is they try and write down the way in which they would like to change and what they view life would be like if that was actually possible. What if I could tell you that it was actually possible for you to change? If you actually could become the person who you would like to become, the person who you're aspiring to change into? What if I could tell you that the patterns and characteristics of your current life you may actually be able to, over time, do away with? So that actually, over time, you will change. What if I could tell you that the way in which you're living now can actually be radically reshaped so that it's actually possible to live differently? Now, I think some of you are sitting there saying, well, you, you don't really know me. You don't know how entrenched this characteristic is or you don't know how entrenched this pattern of behaviour is. But I suspect for all of us, we would probably say the same thing. Friends, what I want to suggest to you today is that the things that we desire, the things that affect who we are as people and the way in which we live in relationship to others, at times cause us great frustration. At times they do cause us hurt and pain when life doesn't go as we were hoping when we try and live out those desires. And I want to suggest to you today that these things are actually possible to change. Both our desires and the outworking of them and I want to suggest to you that looking at this particular part of the Bible will help us understand why I can make that claim. For those of you who were here last week, for the first of our weeks of desire, I suggested to you that desire is part of being human. It's actually not an uncommon or unusual thing for us to 
feel desires and work out how do we live them out. We looked in some senses by way of case study at Solomon who desired many, many things. And in this case, in chapter 2, he desired pleasure. He did not refuse himself all that his eye saw within the constraint of wisdom, but he allowed himself to experience it in the hope that he might gain pleasure. Remember his comment at the end of that particular chapter. In all these things, says Solomon, I decided it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I suggested last week that when you live from the security of a relationship with Jesus, that that is what fulfills our deepest longings and desires. Because that, friends, is actually what we were made for, a relationship with Jesus. I suggested that when you live from the security of a relationship with Jesus, this also helps us rightly understand and orientate all of our other relational desires. Our emotional desires as we relate to others, the expression of our sexual desires. And I also suggested that it places into perspective how we would then rightly understand all of the other things of the world which we think will fulfil all of our desires but probably as we seek to experience them and as we do experience them, we start to realise that there is a futility in trying to gain genuine and deep fulfilment in desiring the things of this world. A relationship with Jesus enables us to have all of our desires of security, acceptance, meaning and purpose and pleasure rightly understood and fully realised. That's the teaching of the Christian scriptures, both in this life and in the next. Before we turn to Galatians 5, if you've got your Bibles or apps or internet available, turn with me please to James chapter 1. Sorry I don't have a slide on the screen for it. I want to start by asking the question, what do our desires show us? James chapter 1 here is instructive. We all experience desire. It's part of being human. But what are we actually to make of them? Here's a warning from James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. In James chapter 1, the Apostle James, in writing to the early church, says this. James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Notice here what James says, verse 14. Each of us will be tempted. Tempted away from the good things that God desires for us when we are enticed by our own desires. This is not God tempting us, friends. The question here is, will we trust the word for us, that what he desires for us is best for us, or will we follow after our own desires and trust ourselves and our own decision-making? Each time we desire something, notice there in verse 14, we will be tempted and possibly drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires. Ultimately what this comes down to, friends, is do we trust God's good word and his desire for us or do we trust ourselves? 
Now, I suspect if I observe and understand your generation, even just perhaps vaguely correctly, I think you've been told for the last few years and encouraged to become independent. A fairly normal sort of process, you move from school into uni and whatever's next. I think you've been encouraged to make your own decisions, to go with your heart, to follow your dreams and live them out, to live your own life, to not conform to what anyone else has told you in terms of how to live, to do what you feel is right, to be yourself. Do you hear the rhetoric now? Notice you've basically been encouraged to trust yourself in everything. However, I think the more we act on our own natural desires, the more we continue to give in to those temptations and to follow them, which means we're not following God's good word, the more we will harden our hearts against what God actually has to say to us. The less we will be willing to listen and obey his word. Notice the outworking of these desires, the sort of end point or the consequence in verse 15. What does James say? The outworking is, well, the outworking is sin. And the result of us giving into temptation from our own desires is this little word the Bible uses called sin, which really describes two things. Firstly, it indicates there's a rebellion between us and God. It's a relational word. And secondly, it also then describes various actions that we carry out that are against God's good intentions for us. The final point of sin, when it is fully grown, is it brings forth death. The outcome of sin, if left untreated, is that, friends, it results in death, according to the Christian scriptures. One of the things we start to see about our desires is they show us who we are. But apart from God and in the absence of any sort of reference point such as his word, we will actually carry out the desires of our hearts. Which according to James, uh, in rebellion against him, if not carried out rightly, they ultimately lead to death. Which I think when you just step back and consider it, well, it's to be expected, is it not? If we are created in God's image and yet fail to do what he says, or don't live as he has intended, then why should we expect that we will actually live? Why should we expect that we will exist in a way that demonstrates goodness, that demonstrates human flourishing, that demonstrates God's good mandate for us if we continue to push back and rebel against it? The second thing we see is that our desires are reflected in our manner of living. Not only do they show us who we are, but they're reflected in our manner of living. I think for each of us, on some reflection, we can identify areas of life that we just don't like. Areas that we really wish we could change. Sometimes they're apparent to other people. At other times we try and hide them away because we just don't like them. But what if tomorrow you had to wear a T-shirt around campus for the day? that indicated the desire you were really sort of trying to work on, the very thing you didn't like about yourself. I wouldn't do it. Imagine how humiliating it would be. Imagine your friends in class, I see you're trying to be more patient, are you? Imagine how much they would just keep egging you on, trying to get you to snap. <laughs> trying to be less angry, are you? Oh, that's like a red rag to a bull for us. 
Our desires, though, are reflected in our manner of living. I think for each of us, as you start to realise, we live out the desires of our hearts. Don't you see this in your own self and also among your peers? For those who desire to be rich, that is what they set their heart on. Some in this room may have desired to be rich a number of years ago, which is why you didn't enrol in arts. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Some of you may have desired to be rich, in which case you enrolled in law. However, now you've got here, you've realised there's no jobs. <laughs> so you'll be poorer than the art students. <laughs> Let's not miss the point. Let's not miss the point. The point is, for the person who desires to be rich, in this case, for example, that's what they set their mind on. That's what they follow through on with their actions. Some of us desire to be rich and the outworking of that is we save and save and save. Some of us desire to be rich so we take a second job and work and work and work. Notice the two actions are very, very different but consistent with the same desire. Sometimes we need to be careful not to judge the action, presuming that we know the desire, but one of the things we mustn't lose sight of is our actions are an outworking of that which we desire. And Paul knows this, which is why I take it he writes Galatians chapter 5. And he writes about what the Christian life should look like with regard to competing desires. Uh, Notice what he says here in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. If you live according to the Spirit of God, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. On one hand, friends, it is as simple as that. Are you having trouble in gratifying the desires of the flesh and seeking to resist that? Then, friends, the word of encouragement here is walk by the Spirit. There is, though, in the Christian believer, the one who has accepted Jesus as Lord and as such has God's Spirit in them, a struggle, an opposition. And the opposition is between what the flesh desires and what the Spirit desires. Friends, these two things are not on the same team. The way in which Paul constructs his argument here is these two things are in direct opposition to each other. And so for Paul, consistent with all of Christian scripture, says there's desires of the flesh, the natural desires, or desires controlled by the spirit. I take it here there's no neutral space. The question is how we will respond to our desires. The natural person, without the Spirit of God, I take it then, the thing they desire and the thing they act out on, if it's not in line by walking with the Spirit, will be the things against God. Notice how Paul describes the outworking of the desires of the flesh there in verse 19. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
I take it that if you rightly understand and know Jesus and what the Christian worldview says, that when you observe these things taking place, you will rightly understand that these actions are an outworking of desires that people have given into in temptation. Because these actions are not controlled by one whose life is lived by the Spirit. It is in Paul's case, as he's saying, an outworking of those who are carrying out the desires of the flesh. Paul goes as far, notice there in the beginning of the verse, saying that the works of the flesh are obvious. I suspect sometimes though if you look through that list, many of those works, maybe a couple of generations ago, would have been clearly not acceptable but I think in this day and age some of these behaviours have become much more normalised and more acceptable. In what way then does Paul say these works are obvious? I wonder whether or not here in Paul's mindset they're obvious because they are in such direct contrast to the works done by the person who is walking by the Spirit. The question we need to ask ourselves here is when you consider your actions, the outworking of your desires, what standard are you using when weighing if your current practices are consistent with what God desires? Are your current practices a reflection that you're walking by the Spirit? Are you using your own standard? One that you may have just worked up. In which case, you're probably fulfilling your natural desires and thinking that that's all okay. Because as we saw last week, self-determinism says you should live out the desires as long as you don't harm anybody. However, according to God's standard, if you are acting out your natural desires, then this is contrary to what the Spirit desires and you will be in opposition to God. Friends, this is a hard word to hear, particularly for those of you who who might not have the Spirit of God in you. The question we ask is, what standard are you using when you weigh your current practices? Your standard or God's standard of seeking to live by the Spirit? What does Paul conclude? Notice what he concludes there in verse 21. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there may be some here today who don't even believe that God exists. In which case, the whole possibility that at the end time, if ever that comes, that there is actually life after death. That they just don't believe that there's life after death, nor that actually God will give anybody anything because God doesn't exist. Friends, if you hold that view, then I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad that you're still paying attention. Can I encourage you to keep challenging your Christian friend who brought you to push back and say, try and demonstrate to me that God actually exists, that there is something called life after death. Now, to see what Paul's concluding, coming consistently with the Christian worldview, there will be a time when God will return and all will be held to account. Notice what verse 21 says. For those who practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I guess just as you reflect on it, you'd say, well, that seems to make sense. If you're not living the way God expects, if you're not meeting his standard, why should you get into his kingdom? After all, it's his. 
He's the one who determines who gets in and who's not in. So if you fail to meet his standards, why should you get in? Exactly the same reason, and I hope this is not the case for any of you, that when you get to the exam at the end of the year and you've not turned up to any class, you've done no reading, you've not asked anybody else about the subject, yet you still expect a high distinction just because you're you. Try and have that conversation with your lecturer. Let's see how that plays out. (laughs) Trust me, it won't end well. Why would we expect anything else from God? If you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Once again, a hard word to hear because it will be a reflection of the way in which we've lived in this life now. Notice the contrast that Paul puts up then in verses 22 to 25. The contrast here. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does living by the Spirit produce? What does living by the Spirit, what is it characterised by? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And my question to you today, is that how, is that how you would like to be known? Is that what you would like your life to be like? Would you like it to be genuinely full of love? Genuinely joyful? Would you like to be known as someone who lives at peace with others? Would you like to be known as someone who is genuinely good? Not because you have to, but because it's actually who you are. Paul claims that these things will come about when you live by walking by the Spirit. And why is it that Paul can make this claim? Well, verse 24 tells us here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The reason why the Christian can claim that a changed life is possible, the reason why the Christian can claim that the desires of our hearts can actually work themselves out such that they produce these things, love, joy, peace, the reason is because of Christ Jesus. In verse 24, notice what Paul says. Those who belong to Jesus have put to death the passions and desires of the flesh. They've crucified them. The flesh, those natural desires when acted upon, will lead to actions and patterns contrary to what God desires. But those who resist those desires by putting them to death over and over and over again and in doing so by walking by the Spirit friends, life will change. This is the assurance this text gives us. Here Paul indicates that the one who has crucified the desires of the flesh will live like God. Not become instantaneously perfect. No, friends, the Christian experience is one of gradually growing to become more and more like God's character. For friends, this is the way God is described. Love, joy, peace, patience. And is God's Spirit working within us that enables us to rightly understand the desires we have 
and work out how to live them out. Notice what Paul says here, verse 24, no, 23. Against such things there is no law. This particular lifestyle, friends, offers freedom. But the reason why it offers freedom is because the standard has already been met. If we were under law, we'd be continually striving to meet a particular standard. But no, by putting these earthly desires to death, by trusting in the death of Jesus, by having the Spirit of God living within us, friends, that gives us freedom. It gives us great freedom to now live like God. And I think for some of us, if not many of us here today, this is what we are searching and longing for. The desire, actually, to be free of the guilt of poor performance, free of the measure that others impose against us, to be free of the expectation that weighs us down as we try and seek to desperately fulfil our desires and particularly in the things of this world. Friends, a relationship with Jesus offers a freedom that allows us and enables us to live as people walking in accordance with God's Spirit. The question I want you to consider is, do you desire this freedom? The outcome of the free life is already clear. It's already listed there in verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. If you desire these things in your life, I want to suggest you will actually only able to find them in a deep and substantial way in a relationship with Jesus. Friends, if you fulfil the desires of your heart outside of God, you will experience moments of joy. You will experience moments of peace you will experience moments perhaps of self-control. But I want to suggest to you, outside of rightly understanding God, these moments will be fleeting. You will always be chasing after the next experience. So I guess for some people we have some decisions to make. And part of the decision revolves around actually how we want, well, it revolves around who we want to be. And that will affect how others see us. It will affect how we understand our relationship between us and God. It will affect how we actually want to live in the world. How will we act out our desires and what will that produce? What would you like to be truly known for as a person? Being sexually immoral? Being someone who hates? Being someone who causes strife? Would you like to be known as someone who demonstrates outbursts of anger? Here I take it Paul gives us a fairly stark choice. If you are currently like this, you do not have to be like that. Or would you rather be known as a person who exhibits love and joy and peace, patience, kindness and goodness? Friends, I hope today that you've been able to have an opportunity to perhaps reassess how you're living, to consider how you live out your desires. The offer that Jesus makes of being in a relationship with him made only possible because of his death and resurrection 
is that relationship will enable you to live in a manner that God intended for us to live. And that, friends, is what it means to be truly human. As we saw last week, it's not about chasing all the things of the world. No, actually, what does it mean to be truly human? Rightly being in a relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the offer of that relationship is freely made. Jesus has already paid the price in his death and rising again on the cross and from the grave. But it does require from us a recognition that our current manner of living is contrary to God's expectation for your life. And Bex, I think not surprisingly actually, that when you enter into a relationship with him, that you will actually honour that relationship and the commitment that he's made to you personally by going to the cross and rising again, that you will then live in a manner that is worthy of that relationship. We strive for that in our own relationships, don't we? When we make commitments to others. We strive to live in a manner, I hope, that honours the commitment that we make in our relationships. Why should Jesus expect anything less? So I take it there is an expectation that you will live in a manner that lives out what the Spirit of God desires. But at this point, as we've seen from Galatians 5, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, which Jesus gives you when you enter into a relationship with him, friends, it is actually then possible to honour that relationship. The question to ask ourselves is, do we recognise that life needs to change? Have you tried to change life, areas of your life, living out your desires, and started to realise the futility of these efforts when you work at it by yourself? And are you willing to accept that you need Jesus to change you, to enable you to live rightly in a relationship with him? Friends, if the answer to these questions is yes, then what we've heard today I think is very freeing for you. It's the means by which you can live rightly before God. It's the means by which your actions in the here and now, for the rest of this week, for next week and for as many years as you have on this earth, will actually be able to be lived out differently. If you'd like to talk with someone, please talk to the friend who brought you about what it means to be a Christian. Come and talk to myself or Declan. We'll be around afterwards briefly. Before we finish, we're going to watch a short video about the implications of this for somebody. Mary and Jesus saved me. So I grew up in a Christian household where my parents went to Bible study weekly and yeah, in my family there is my sister, my dad and my mum. And something that happened early on was our mum passed away from cancer in 2000. And that was, you know, really sad but when I, like, in growing up I've been realising how many things she has established along with my dad. for places for me to hear about Jesus. Yeah, and so that would be like my church and the school that I went to. In not having a mum, I was, I had developed all these insecurities um, of being looked down upon and so 
it really drove me to be a step ahead rather than behind. Um, this made me a quite confident, assertive, independent person um, and in a sense my own tiger mom. Yeah, so throughout high school people would look up to me and you know, be like, whoa Mary, please help me with this and help me with that and it just felt so great to be wanted and um, seen as someone who was confident and reliable and yeah, so I definitely have to say school marks and school friends was just a place I found my comfort, my value and security. Um, so, yes, up to year 10, Jesus was only in my life because it was part of the program. I only listened because it was just what everyone did. Um, and, yeah, just something to excel in. But I didn't understand the word at church because I was going to the Chinese service. But then one night, my sister came back from Bible study and she seemed quite upset and she asked me, Mary, do you want to believe because you're expected to or because you actually want to? And that really challenged me to look further into why I want to be a Christian. I mean, I knew I wanted to, but yeah, so <clears throat> the next day I went to school and I was just talking to my teachers and going to the library, hitting the book, searching up why yeah, why be a Christian? Um, <clears throat> and you could probably tell that at that point I became such a proud and bitter person um, in finding all my identity in schoolwork. So when I realized about this, about truly what Jesus has done for us, um, it was such an amazing truth. And along with going to night church again where I could hear the talk in English, um, going to my sister's Bible study, which she invited me to, and along with some study camps, that's where I heard of God's great love for us and just how amazing He cares. And that's so faithfully shown through Jesus. And at that study camp, we had this worship night where we were just singing songs. And I remember this one song um, talking about how, yeah, how He loves us, how much God cherishes us in his heart. It starts off with saying he was jealous for me and I just never thought of it like that, that God could have everything and he does have everything in the world but yet he chooses to love me and yeah, I was just amazed by that and the following week it was the HSC and it was so great to know that I could walk in knowing that my identity, my value is all lying in God's hands in that he loved me and made me and not by four numbers and it was awesome to know that he was in control of that situation like he already knew what mark I would get um, and yeah so today it's, I get to wake up each day knowing that I am lo known and loved by my creator and that even though other people fail me as they all are because we are humans he doesn't his, his love is unfailing and unconditional and there's no better truth than that um, and I really want to share this because God loves each of us and He wants everyone to know Him. And I feel all of us are searching for this source of comfort, security, value. And it's shown in what we do, like whether we've got, we're studying or we're striving for in life, um, how we choose to show our image, lots of things. And God answers all of that through Jesus. And 
in, in establishing him as our Lord and Saviour. So, yeah, great truth. And I hope everyone comes to know this truth because it's amazing. I'm going to pray for us in response to the talk. So if you're comfortable, please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we are sorry that we so often go our own way, that we follow our own desires and we don't live as you intended. Father, we're sorry that we set our hearts on things that aren't you. Help us to see that following the things and the ways of this world will not fulfil us in the end. And help us to heed the warning that those who live by the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Father, help us to desire the things of the Spirit. We thank you for Jesus, that we've been made for a relationship with you and that we can have this relationship through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. Thank you that in you, our deepest desires are completely fulfilled. Help us to live according to the Spirit. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.